Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil alemin. Vessalatu vesselamu ala seyyidil mursalina ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ecma'in. Amma ba'd. My dear sisters, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَأَنْتُمُ الْأَعْلَوْنَ اِنْ كُنْتُمْ مُؤْمِنِينَ That you will be elevated as long as you are true believers. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَا اَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا اِسْتَعِينُوا بِالصَّبْرِ وَالصَّلَاةِ O people who believe, seek assistance, seek help through patience and through prayer. Through patience and through prayer. So these are the two things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran among many other things. And I think for the topic today which is about losing my faith, there's uh, several different angles that can be discussed in losing my faith. Other than that, uh, as I said, that this particular topic, losing my faith, which was actually supposed to be the topic from the conference itself, uh, can be discussed in many different angles. Um, the way you would discuss this among people with doubt would be different to the way you would discuss it to people with no doubt. If somebody has no doubt, then obviously there's no point telling them about the doubts necessarily to un unduly create doubts. But there are certain things that we need to understand. Firstly, uh, there, are a, there are quite a few people who have doubts about the faith. Now, the reason for the doubts could be uh, very different. Uh, there's probably just a minority that actually become atheists. And the reason why they seem to be the most prominent is because they, they seem active. When a person uh, becomes an atheist, they're probably going to be telling others uh, what their beliefs are now and why they've chosen their beliefs and why they've rejected Islam and uh, clear apostasy. That that would basically be why they would they would do that and that's why you would probably hear somebody like that. Now, they, they are clearly uh, somebody we need to be concerned about and somebody we can try to help. Um, but the, there's a bigger proportion of people who are not necessarily atheists but they have another problem which is called apathy. Apathy is uh, basically something else. Apathy means an indifference, a disregard, not being concerned, not caring, I can't care less kind of attitude. That's apathy. And the reason that generally comes up is because a person doesn't practice their faith, then they're bombarded day in and day out with various different propaganda about the problem with Islam. So when you're living in a, as a minority and the media and the, the discourse out there is that Muslims are doing this wrong and Muslims are doing that wrong. And not just Muslims, but Islam has this problem and it's an inherent problem and it's this problem and it's that problem. I mean, the statistics that clearly show that in the media, uh, how many times Islam has been linked to these kind of things in a, in, a, in a way that is totally false, but it creates an atmosphere. For example, let's just say, I mean, we may all have somebody who's done maybe something untoward or something unfavorable in our families or in our communities, right? And let's just say in our families. Now, if you're told long enough by everybody, you've got a bad family, you've got a bad family, initially you're not going to believe that anyway, right? Because you, everybody has pride of, the, of their own background and, you know, they're proud of their families. But when you're then pointed out certain small examples and they're magnified, because at the end of the day, it's all about perspective as well. And it's magnified. Look at what that person done. Look at what this person done. And eventually makes you feel at least doubtful. I mean, it could make you at least feel doubtful. 
And then what happens is that when with a family, of course, there's not much you can do with a family. You can't really abandon your family, although some people do. But when it comes to faith, it's easier to do that because you don't have that maybe that sense of belonging. Now, there will be some people who will never, who, who, who mashallah, will never become unconvinced, who will never become doubtful, you know, who've experienced the faith, mashallah, who have ma'rifah in their hearts, who have taken the faith experientially. You know, the kind of feelings that they feel when they make dua, the kind of uh, responses they get when they've made dua, when they've done adhkar, when, you know, the calmness of the heart, the tranquility of the heart that they actually feel when they do uh, adhkar and remembrances and so on, when they've made dua and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has accepted their dua. I mean, these are experiential things which uh, I think solidify your faith to such a degree that it doesn't matter what kind of doubts may come up afterwards. They, they, they will not do anything for you. And that's when uh, Islam, uh, the belief of Islam has gone beyond just the theology, gone beyond just that, okay, I believe it because X, Y, and Z, or because it makes sense, or because, uh, what do you call it, uh, that, that is the, uh, you know, out of the three religions, this is the latest religion. And you, know, you have all of these reasons, these logical reasons, historical reasons, and other such reasons. But when you've actually experienced it, it's a totally different thing. And that's why Imam Ghazali mentions that that is probably, and that's the way you get from spirituality, that you get from uh, tasawwuf Sufism, or, uh, you know, proper, uh, proper tasawwuf, that where you actually feel the experience experience of what Islam is doing for you, it becomes you. It's very different from where you just know it's true and you just believe for whatever reason you're convinced intellectually. But the problem with intellectual conviction is that sometimes somebody can spin it in a different way and create doubt in that intellectual uh, conviction. But when it comes to spiritual conviction, experientially, when you've experienced it, when you've tasted it, when you've had its favor, a flavor, and you're tasting it day in and day out, right? And you get that tranquility and it gives you that contentment, then there's no way that anybody can take you off that. So obviously the solution is to become tranquil in that state, to have that nafs, what we call nafs mutma'inna, nafs radiya, nafs mardiya, right? Which are basically the satisfied soul, the, the, the pleased soul, right? The, 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 the guided soul, the nafs al-mulhama, right? That's the guided soul. I mean, it's to get that state. That obviously we need to work for it. But you can't tell people who have apathy to do that because that obviously requires an effort. So the reason why apathy comes up is for obviously one of the reasons which I mentioned is because of the constant bombardment. It just makes you feel like there's nothing in Islam because you're not countering it by going and learning about it, by experiencing it. Right? There's not enough. And then maybe even if they've been to classes, maybe the classes weren't effective enough. Maybe they weren't being taught in that right way. All right? I just went somewhere and basically I was told that they don't listen to a number of other, uh, other people because they just can't speak their language. And uh, they will only listen to certain people because they can speak their language. And it's, you know, that, that depends. But obviously it's on the person to go and try to look for somebody that can help them rather than be... Uh, uh, rather than have this apathy and this indifference. The other reason for apathy and indifference is because generally speaking, if you look at even with other prophets, uh, the, 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 re the, the people who believed the most or believed initially, the believed first, who were willing to take the leap and uh, take on the belief uh, that the prophets were, were, were calling people towards, they were generally the poor people. And the rich came in much later. Right? The rich came in much later. It doesn't have to always be the case, but that is a lot of the case in many of the situations. That's why Allah says in the Quran, 
Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran about Nuh alayhi salam uh, that his people said, that should we believe in you where it's the lowly people, the downtrodden people, the reveal, right? Those people who are not considered dignified, they've followed you. So we should follow you because they followed you. So they're trying to say that this is a class system. It's like that. In many countries around the world, uh, for example, in, in Pakistan at least, right, you know, from what I've heard of students from there, the, the kind of elite, I'm not saying this is everybody, but a lot of the elite that are the wealthy people, they think Islam is for the lowly people. Uh, and when they come here to study at universities and they actually see Muslim students born and bred from an Indian Pakistani background, subcontinent background, that they're very practicing, you know, the women are wearing hijab and niqab, etc. The men are having beards and so on, and they're praying, you know, they've got prayer times, they've got a musalla at university and so on. They get shocked and surprised because they're saying that you are the ideal for which we will aspire, right? Because, I mean, in Indian Pakistan, speaking English is a massive deal. I was just in India, you know, two weeks ago and uh, they, they, they just want to speak English. They don't, they don't even want to relate to Urdu or Hindi or any other language. They just want to speak English. It's like, you know, God knows what they see. So anybody who actually spe speaks English natively and is considered to be in, uh, you know, in England, that's a big deal. So when those students come here to study, and this is the elite that come because it's very expensive to come and study here in these universities, and they see the, the normal, you know, everyday person who's practicing, they're completely surprised. They're completely surprised. And this is obviously a society issue. Alhamdulillah, we don't, it's not that bad for us living in the West itself, right? I mean, to some degree, at least in England, alhamdulillah, that, you know, the deen is for everybody, right? That the wealthy considered theirs, the, the non-wealthy, the middle class, because I mean, we don't have too much of that fluctuation. We have very wealthy people, but generally everybody's, mashallah, you know, they're, they're decent. So what happens, why does this, why does this come about? Is because psychologically money, influence, position, respect, gives you a false dichotomy, gives you a false sense of satisfaction, contentment, that I don't need anything else. When you have money, you can buy what you want, right? You can order it when you want. You can have same day delivery even, right? Instant gratification of things, and you've got the money to buy it with. Then obviously you feel a lot more confident with yourself. You feel like all my, all my needs are being taken care of. I can buy what I want. Uh, in terms of material possessions, right? In terms of things, goods, items. And they're not too focused on their heart too much. That comes once in a while when they suffer a bit of a loss or they see a loss or they have a setback or something like that. Or if Allah's tawfiq comes in. So there's a false sense of security and contentment that comes with having a lot of money. So money in itself is not a problem, but just the way it interacts with the human being or the way the human interacts with it, that's what happens. So then you feel like religion is not for you. Your religion is not necessary for you. And that's what creates this problem. That's, that's some of what creates this problem. And if you've got influence and you can get things done, then why do you need? Because you only look at your soul when the material things become obliterated. Successful is the one who has material things as well and also is focused on the soul. They get the best of both worlds. Not just the best of the dunya, but they get the best of the akhirah, inshallah, as well. That they, they, mashallah, enjoy having the means in this world, and they also are focused on the hereafter. That's what's really to achieve. But this is just to give us an understanding of where
why people don't care about their faith. Because mashallah, we've got a lot in this country that it, it offers us to be in this country. And because of that, you don't feel so connected to the deen. Along with that, it's obviously magnified with the fact that maybe there's not enough people explaining deen to such people in a particular way. Because, you know, if I'm taught to explain deen to a certain group of people, then it's quite a bit of a difficult task to relearn how to do it to other people because I have to understand them first. If I don't understand them, how am I going to explain it to them? That's why we're all in this. This is, don't think this is just about ulama because there's probably interaction with religious people, uh, with, with so-called people uh, suffering from apathy and other problems. Their interaction with just religious people will probably be more than their interaction with a scholar. So we can't say it's the scholars that you know, have to take care of this only. Every one of us has to take care of this because we will have such people in our family, right? If you're an uncle or an aunt or a brother or a sister or someone, there's going to be somebody who will come and they may come with a really weird question, right? Might even seem blasphemous. It's something that you think your family or your circle or your community should not even talk about. I, you, it's unbelievable. Right? It beggars belief that why are they even asking this question. But that's the reality. Just because something is not at the fore, it's not open, it doesn't mean it's not there. A lot of, this, a lot of the time people only bring these things up when they feel they can trust somebody. So if somebody does bring something up like that to you because they think you're religious, then don't react to it in kind of some kind of disbelief. Because what they've brought it up, it's a reality. You'd rather try to deal with it. Don't try to cover it up. Don't try to say, ignore it. Because ignoring the re if ignoring could have worked, they've probably tried to ignore it. Anybody who wants to have faith and then they first get their doubts, or they first have their questions about certain things, about whether how they should deal with certain things, they probably are going to try to ignore it if they've had that basis, if they've had that teaching. But now they can't ignore it anymore. That's why they felt compelled to reveal it to you. They probably feel embarrassed and ashamed to do it anyway. So now you're going to say, no, 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 don't think about that. That's not good enough. I've seen so many people become worse because somebody's told them ignore it. You can't ignore something. You need to be able to respond to it. How are, you, how are we going to respond to it? Well, we must take that occasion, consider it an occasion to go and enlighten ourselves first. Right? If we're connected to a scholar or some, uh, a, a teacher or somebody who may know these things, then we need to ask them if that particular individual who came to us could not ask them. Clearly, they've asked us because they have some trust in us. Let's not break that trust. Let's try to help and provide pastoral care. So a lot of people, in fact, even people who've gone complete to atheism or agnosticism, the reason why they've gone there is not because they're fully convinced of that ideology. It's just that what they have experienced in their own setting, so-called religious setting, has turned them off. It's basically made them feel it's been either too strict to them, it's not been cohesive and consistent to them, it's been too cultural for them, or culture has been cloaked into Islam for them. And they have had a negative impact. For example, forced marriages. To insist you must marry your cousin and the reason you must do that is because your parents are saying so. And it's necessary to be obedient to your parents. All right? And Islam says so, so you must do that. Whereas my parents, that person is going to say that my parents have never told me about Islam otherwise. 
our only Islam was when Ramadan came along and on Eid day. But otherwise, when this came, my parents were very Islamic that, okay, you must marry your cousin because that's what we want. But I feel no compatibility with my cousin. Of course, if you're compatible with your cousin, you should marry them. What's wrong with that? But if you're not compatible and you can't see a future and then that's cloaked in Islam, then I've seen even people lose faith over that. So there's a lot of things like that. There's a lot of stuff like that. Just to conclude, there are people who've lost their faith or who uh, have become agnostics or they've become um, atheists. Some of them is because they've actually read into it and they've actually take on, taken on the ideas of Dawkins, etc. And sometimes you see them regurgitate, regurgitate the same old ideas even though they've been debunked so many times because they haven't read a response to Dawkins. There's a number of responses written that they haven't read. They've just become, you know, uh, they've just become uh, obsessed with, with, with his ideas and his arguments. That could be one reason. The other reason, a lot of the time, it's because they've had a bad experience. These people need a lot of pastoral care. I think this is probably the majority of the atheists, you know, they just need pastoral care. They need somebody to show them some love, not love for atheism, but love for them as a human being, right? Love for them, concern for them, compassionate for them, right? And hopefully, inshallah, they, 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 they will understand and they will come back. But then you have the majority, which is just apathy, which is they just don't care because they've just got too much, right? And nobody's come to them or they, they don't want it or whatever the case is. So uh, what we got to take away from here is that let us try to help people. And when we don't know, then let us not try to, uh, try to mess the situation up further by trying to tell them to bury their head in the sand or try to give them answers that don't really work. <clears throat> when you're in doubt yourself, go and ask somebody else and, and find out what these things are and make a lot of dua for such people as well. Make dua for ourselves that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can maintain our faith. That's why once Sufyan al-Thawri, uh, rahimahullah, who's one of the greatest of the um, hadith, hadith scholars and also one of the greatest uh, worshippers as well, according to Ibn al-Jawzi, he was a contemporary of Imam Abu Hanifa. Uh, once he was seen crying and somebody asked him, why are you crying? And he said that, um, he said, I have not, I, I, I have not disobeyed. You know, he, he picked up, basically, he picked up a piece of, uh, a grain of wheat, right, which is a very small grain, right, smaller than a pea. And he said that I have not disobeyed Allah this much in my life. So then they're saying, like, why are you worried about if you haven't disobeyed Allah, we need to be worried that we've disobeyed Allah so much. You haven't disobeyed Allah at all, even that much. He said, because Iman is so precious, faith is so precious, that I don't know if I will maintain it until I die. Or will this faith be taken from me? That is the risk. That, that's the problem that we all need to be worried about. There's a lot of challenges out there. There've always been challenges, but there's a lot of challenges out there. And if Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala can thabbitna ala deenihi, right? Oh Allah, oh Allah, you know, establish us on your deen. Keep us on your deen. Sarrif qulubana ala ta'atik and uh, let our hearts be focused on your worship all the time and your obedience. Then inshallah that's where we get that's where we can get something. So we make these du'as to Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. May Allah accept us and protect us and preserve us. And uh, likewise, our families, our entire Muslim world, uh, entire humanity, may Allah you know, grant them uh, good understanding and insaniyah and also our progeny until the Day of Judgment make them a 
delight of our eyes. Wa akhiru da'wana anilhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.